when I was a kid, like, you had to, well, it, 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 it wasn't cool to be a nerd in the 90s or the 80s or the 70s. It didn't become cool to be a nerd until the 2000s with the, uh, probably start with Lord of the Rings, those movies came out. And suddenly everyone was like, oh, yeah, 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 I'm a big fan of nerd stuff too. And it's now it's like it's, uh, it's yeah, everyone claims to be a geek or a nerd of some, of some kind or another. Oh, I watch the you know, Marvel movies, so I, I like comic books. That kind of silliness. But, but in my day, uh, the, the nerds, we were, we were legit. And you had to have uh, serious credibility to be a nerd. Starting in the junior high school, I became a Star Wars nerd at the highest possible level. Um, I didn't just watch uh, at least one movie every weekend from the original trilogy, although I did that. I was also a member of the uh, Star Wars fan club, uh, subscribed to Star Wars Insider, and I read the books that uh, came out, uh, the Timothy Zahn series, of course, you remember that one, uh, and then <laughs> uh, the Tales from Mosai's Cantina, classic, uh, Dave Wolverton's super underrated Courtship of Princess Leia. Um, I, I was I was the real deal, and so when in 1997, when they announced that they were going to release the 20 year anniversary, they're going to re-release the original trilogy. Man, I was at a fever pitch. I think I was maybe 14, 15 years old at the time, sophomore, I think, in high school, and I'm pretty sure. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so Scott, Scott, uh, our bass player and and pseudo elder, um, he he came up with a crazy plan. What was this, your buddy's name? Carrie, is that right? Carrie Bornhead, yeah. So they were in college, I think, and they were just, they just said, you know what, we're going to cut class, and we're going to go to the the grand opening at the Big Newport Theater, um, the very first showing of the original, you know, Star Wars: A New Hope, um, and they invited me. And my parents, uh, being, I guess, out of their minds, they said, sure, quit, don't go to school, go see. Were you there too? Johnny came. I, I, I blocked that out. Right, yeah. Hold on, we're going to get there. So, so we cut class, um, and, we, and we go, and we, and we get to, uh, we get to the, the theater, and there's this huge line of people. And, and it was the first time, I was like, wow, I'm not alone. These are my people. They were like dressed up as like, this was back when dressing up as a character wasn't cool at all. Like, you were a freak if you dressed up like... But there were stormtroopers running around. Um, there was, you know, Darth Vader was there. And then the coup de grace uh, was that Blizzard Entertainment, um, at, the t- at the time, Blizzard Entertainment was not a soulless corporation. They were making good video games. And they had all of their, uh, all of their people come. Uh, they, they bought tickets for everyone at Blizzard Entertainment. And they brought donuts for all of us who were waiting in line for the... It was a glorious day. Uh, it was, I mean, we didn't know about the dark times yet to come uh, with what's happened to that franchise, sadly, in the intervening 20 years. Thank God for The Mandalorian. Just started season two. It's fantastic. Yeah, keep, keep it going. Uh, so maybe there's a comeback. But, but at, the t- at the time, it was like, it was like every, everyone who was there, we were all in this together. We'd all been waiting for this our entire lives. There were some people who were older who'd actually seen the original trilogy in the theater. There were some who were young like me who, like, had just fallen in love with it and, and wanted to be a part. But everybody, like, at every moment of the movie, people are cheering, throwing tortillas. It was, like, it was pretty tremendous. 
because we finally found our people. The losers, the rejects. And we were all there celebrating something that we'd been waiting for for a super long time. This is from Matthew, Matthew 15. Jesus left that place and went along the shore of the Galilee Sea, Sea of Galilee. He hiked up a mountain and sat down. Large crowds came to him, including those who were paralyzed, blind, injured, unable to speak, and many others. They laid these people at his feet, and, and Jesus healed them. So the crowd was amazed when they saw those who had been unable to speak talking, the paralyzed cured, the injured maimed walking, and the blind seeing. And they praised the God of Israel. Now Jesus called his disciples and said, My gut aches, I'll explain that, for the crowd because they have been with me for three days and have nothing to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry for fear they might collapse on the journey. His disciples replied, Where are we going to get enough food in this desolate place to satisfy such a big crowd? Jesus said, Well, how much bread do you have? They said, Seven loaves and a couple fish. Jesus told the crowd to sit down. He took the seven loaves of bread and fish. After he gave thanks, he broke them into pieces and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. Everyone ate until they were full. The disciples even collected seven baskets full of leftovers. 4,000 men ate, not counting the women and children. Uh, just to get, get a little background to highlight a few things in the text. Jesus left that place. What's actually happened uh, just before this in, in chapter 15 and 14, Jesus has gone through the ringer. He's been touring villages around the Sea of Galilee, um, which we'll talk about in a second. And wherever he's gone, all the elites and all the, the, the cool people have rejected him. They said, we're not interested in what you have to say. The, the, the button-down, you know, manicured, well-heeled folks were not interested in hearing Jesus' message. In fact, uh, some of the religious people were terrified by it, and, and so they rejected him. They get out of here. And so Jesus has just had, like, a really bad run where a lot of people have said no to the message of the kingdom, the message of God's coming. And so what does he do? It says uh, he left that place, he left uh, the Sea of Galilee, and went along the shore of the sea. So he left, um, I think it was in Capernaum last. He leaves uh, Capernaum, starts going along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and then he hikes up a mountain, and he sat down. Now, uh, is, I, don't think the, I think the hogs are on vacation, but Dennis and Sally Hogg recently went to Israel, so they could, they could tell you that this is true. But I have a couple pictures of the Sea of Galilee here. So if you look, this is the Sea of Galilee. This is actually the lowest freshwater lake on earth. It's about 700 feet below sea level. Uh, so very, very low. It's the second lowest lake in the entire world. It, the, the lowest is the Dead Sea, which is um, a little bit lower, but it's a, it's a saltwater lake. But if you look around the Sea of Galilee, what do you see on the edges? You see these big mountains. And I have another shot here. These big, big mountains. In fact, these mountains go up to about 2,500 feet um, in the air, about half a mile. Um, that it's at their peaks. And so what Jesus is doing is he's going from 700 feet below sea level to around 2,000, 2,500 feet um, above sea level. What's he trying to do? Well, he's trying to get away. He's trying to run away. He's had a really rough go of it. He needs to regroup. He needs to rest. And that's kind of, that's what he does. That's his practice. If you follow through the Gospels, you'll notice anytime Jesus wants a recharge, he always goes up to a mountain. 
And then later in the text, it's called, it calls the area where he is a wilderness. I translated a desolated place because it can also mean a desolation, that word. Um, so Jesus goes off way into the wilderness. He goes on a camping trip, him and his disciples. And they're out and they're doing what they do. Um, and, and, and the first thing you know, she's Jesus goes in the mountains to rest. This does not work out well for Jesus. If we go back to the text, we can see this. Large crowds came to him. This this should puzzle us a little bit. Wait, what large crowds? He's just gone around the Sea of Galilee, all these villages, and all of the the religious leaders, the political leaders, they've said no thanks, and they've, they've sent him on his way. So what's going on? Well, probably what happened is he was up there camping with his disciples. He probably sent them down the mountain to get supplies, and they might have talked to a few people, and they're like, oh, oh, that Jesus, that, that, that prophet guy, uh, he's, he's up in the mountains right now? Oh, okay, interesting. And then word gets around. But this time, instead of the religious elites, instead of the, the, the hoity-toity people, instead of the, the political elites, the people who come to him are the paralyzed, the blind. The injured, those who can't talk. You have to remember in the first century in Israel, if you were paralyzed, it was assumed that that was because of something you or your parents did, a punishment from God. If you were blind, it was assumed that there had been something wrong with you or your parents, and so God had struck you blind. If you couldn't walk, you were injured. You know, your remains or you had some sort of disfiguration. It was assumed that something your parents did was wrong. It was a punishment from God. So who are these people trekking up the mountain? They're the dregs. They're, um, they're the, the rejects, they're the outcasts. And think also, too, notice we just said, I mean, this is a pretty serious hike. I, I use the word hike to say, describe, I mean, it's really just the word for ascend. But if you're going from 700 feet below sea level up to, I mean, that would probably kill me uh, in my current state of disrepair. But these people, that, and, and imagine you're taking people who can't walk, who can't move. You've got to drag them sometimes. You have to put them on donkeys if you have them. This is a bit very serious deal. What's going on? Well, the people who are at the bottom... They didn't get a say when Jesus came around to the village of the Sea of Galilee. But now, now they find out he's, he's over there. We can, now we can go and make our case. And so throngs of people, probably around 10,000 people, begin going up to this desolate place to find Jesus so that they can hear his word. And ultimately, they're hoping to heal, have healed all of their illnesses and their injuries. And this happens. The crowd's amazed. They praise God. They praise the God of Israel. It's interesting uh, that Matthew uses this language, the God of Israel, uh, because that, that kind of in, in, it's the sort of language that's used when we're talking about the coming of the kingdom of God. Now, why are they happy, these people? Why are they praising? Well, one thing, obviously, they're praising because their family and friends who are blind can see. But the, 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 those who can't walk can. Disfigurations are being fixed. Those who can't speak are talking. So obviously they're pretty stoked about that. But there's something else. Aside from all the taxes and high gas prices and ridiculous regulations, there's only one really bad thing about Southern California. 
and it's that we don't have these. I, I've lived in a couple places um, in uh, North Carolina and then in Japan where, where I got to see the turning of the seasons. Now, again, I'm not, those places are horrible. Uh, the, the, the bugs are huge. The humidity is awful. Um, there's nothing to recommend them at all except for this. There's something that I, I remember driving to school in North Carolina, going through um, eastern Tennessee and then western North Carolina, going up, I think it's the Blue Ridge, maybe the Smokies, I don't know what mountain range it is, but, but you would start to ascend, and this is in late August, and suddenly you're just blown away by the yellows and the reds mixed with the greens. And it's like just the most gorgeous thing in the world. And over time, I began to associate uh, the changing of the, the leaves with, uh, with the best that life has to offer. Why? Why? Because when the leaves start to change, that means you're heading into fall. You've gotten past the horrors of summer. We're all sweating and miserable. And you're headed into the best part of the year. You got Halloween coming up. You got Thanksgiving turkey coming up. You got Christmas coming up. In the, in, a, in the space of just three months, all, with the exception of Easter, all of the most awesome things about the year are packed, jam-packed together. And the signal is, the signal in my mind was, as soon as I, I began to associate the, the changing of the colors of the leaves with, with just zooming right into the best part of the year, the part of the year that I just, I wish it never ended. Well, in the first century, uh, the Jewish people, they, um, they had expectations for uh, the coming Messiah, the coming King of Israel. And they knew that one of the things that was going to happen was that when he came, he was going to start taking the people who were on the bottom and then putting them on the top, right? They knew that he was going to take the people who'd been oppressed, people who maybe couldn't walk, people who couldn't see, people who were considered the dregs of society. He was going to take them and he was going to bring justice for them. And so when these people, when these people start to see their friends and family and loved ones walking for the first time, seeing for the first time, speaking for the first time, having their deformities healed, there's a signal going off. There's a signal going off saying, it's starting. It's finally really happening. The leaves are changing. The best season is coming. The kingdom of God is at hand. All of the things that have been and are wrong are about to get set right. And we're at the tip of the spear. All the, all the, all the people who run things, they, they rejected this man, but we're seeing, we're seeing with our very own eyes that he's really doing it. He's really here. And he's showing it to us. It's the next thing you know, Jesus is healing, signal, and excite the people about the coming kingdom. It's not just the fact that the, that the, the, those who can't walk can walk. It's not just about being able to see. It's about what that means, what time it is. It's no longer the time of oppression and injustice. It's the time when God makes things right. So what do they do? Let's go on the text. Notice this. Now Jesus calls his disciples. And he says, my guts ache. Uh, 
most translations will say, I have compassion, or I feel bad, or feel sorry. But it's one of my favorite words in Greek, splekunon, uh, uh, means your guts, your innards. Um, a lot of times it gets translated heart, uh, because that sounds better in English. But really, it's, it's like, it's that feeling in, your, in the deep part of your gut when somebody that you love or care for is in danger, right? That, that sinking feeling you have when that, that your child is, is, is in danger, that's this. And so Jesus says, my guts ache for the crowd because they've been with me for, what is this? Three days? And have nothing to eat? Well, I don't want to send them away hungry. They might collapse on the road. They might faint on the road. This is odd. So, I mean, you're going to go to the doctor, right? You go to the doctor, you have a broken arm. You go to the doctor, he fixes the broken arm, and then what do you do? You go home. Not these people. They see these healings, and then they're like, we're not going anywhere. This is unbelievable. We want to be a part of this. They, they, they're like, they're like and, and there's nobody there. We've got a lot of people in our church who are very responsible. Um, they're, most of them are on the finance committee sending me mean emails about, you know, the way I, I think I've done a pretty good job, but okay, fine. Um, and so the people on the finance committee, I can imagine this, if they were there, if they were there, if Dustin, our treasurer, was there on the mountain, he'd be looking around and being like, hey, does anyone have a plan for how we're going to eat? <laughs> like, like, I mean, I, no, it's not that I don't love this, I do, but maybe we should think about, I don't know, tomorrow? Uh, you can walk. Fantastic. Let's walk down the mountain where the food is. Nobody says that. Why? Because they're just, they're like, it's happening. It's here. They are. It's, it's now, it's, it's Coast 103.5 has begun to, to play Christmas music. So I can do my first Christmas reference uh, from from vacation, Christmas vacation, here he is, Cousin Eddie. <laughs> cousin Eddie, uh, Cousin Eddie, he's the, <laughs> if you watch the movie, it's awesome. He doesn't announce that he's coming. He just brings his family, puts his kids in, in, in Clark's house. Uh, here he is uh, emptying the, the bad stuff from uh, the RV into the sewer system, which will later blow up. He, um, this guy, like, he just has no sense at all. He's not thinking about anything other than, like, what's happening right now. And he just crashes into uh, Clark's, you know, family vacation, Christmas vacation. He just, and, and then there, at one point, I think, I think Clark's like, how long do you plan to stay, Ed? And he says something like, well, we're pretty sure we're going to leave by February, something like that. And you're like, oh, oh. And for those of us who've, you know, hosted people and know how awful that is, can you just imagine? Can you imagine? Here you've got this guy. He's like... And, I mean, Eddie is, he's a mess. He's, he's not, you know, a sober, white, middle-class guy, okay? He's not, he's not, this dude's got some problems. He's got some issues. He's the kind of guy that gets laughed out everywhere he goes because he's, he's a joke. And we can see it in Clark's face at one point. Clark is like, oh, so you don't have any... Um, Christmas presents for your kids. Great. Well, maybe we, maybe my wife and I we can chip in. He like gives him this list. He's like, here you go. Thanks, Clark. <laughs> I mean, what a pest! 
What an unwelcome surprise. Because he's family, you know, Clark puts up with it. Although he almost loses it when, uh, when Eddie kidnaps his boss at the end. That, that's like, that's where he's like up to here. He's like, okay, now I'm done. Uh, but Clark puts up with it because, you know, he's a family guy and he's into that. But at no point does Clark look at Ed and feel it in his guts. All the, the sinners and the riffraff and the outcasts and the people who can't think two days ahead are there celebrating, praising God. You're doing it. The kingdom is coming. It's not going to work out the way they expect, but it is this moment where Jesus is like, you're my people. It just, just before this, uh, Jesus tells um, the disciples that he's come to, to find the lost sheep He's come to find the ones who don't fit in. They're the ones who are lost. And just as I walked, we, we, John, Scott, and Carrie, and I, we, we, we walked up and we saw all those goofballs in their Chewbacca outfits. We're like, finally, we found our people. Jesus looks at the broken and the sick and the forgotten. And he says, if you're willing to spend time with me, to celebrate with me, to be with me, I'll figure out lunch. I'll take care of it. He doesn't just figure out lunch though, right? He, he, there's, there's seven loaves and two little fish and Jesus is like, he's like doing Jesus magic. Um, and he, he feeds everyone. Everyone's full, like they're sated. They can't eat anymore. And then there's still seven baskets left over, right? That's how, that's how it goes. Jesus doesn't just put up with his unwelcome guest, his cousin Eddie's. He invites them to the feast. And that's the last thing in your note sheet. Jesus invites all unwelcome guests to feast. Not to, not to just get by. Not to just barely make it. But to enjoy the feasting of the kingdom. Here and now. Twenty twenty has been a pretty weird year, and uh, the universe uh, may be making a lot of us feel like we're unwelcome guests. We've had people in this uh, church who have gone through tremendous economic hardship because of the the shutdowns. We have people who um, are terrified uh, and who have family members. uh, Colleen Bacon's dad uh, got COVID-19, and and he he was up there. He was was old, but it it killed him. Now they're, they're telling us, oh, the numbers are surging. We're expecting more and more and more cases. We're expecting another 200,000 people to die over the next couple of months. And a lot of us might just be sitting here being like, can this stupid year end? 
I feel like I'm not wanted anymore. Maybe for some of us this year has exposed um, some really deep-seated sins that are dragging us down, keeping us from uh, becoming the people that, that God wants us to be, things we need to, to, to walk away from, uh, repent from. Maybe this year has, has found, left us alone or isolated. I mean, and so many of us, I know uh, so many of you at home um, are, you know, you're still watching, but you've been locked down and, and, and you've, you really do feel like, I took some pictures this morning. I went in. Uh, I was there a little bit yesterday. Uh, while we, we had something like 20 some volunteers come and put this together. If you volunteered yesterday, would you just raise your hand so we can thank you uh, for your service? Thanks so much. Um, now this, this right here, this, I'm, I'm underselling it because tonight the lights will be low and the, the decorative lighting will be, will be high. Okay, so for example, uh, Jen, Jen Pasquale, on the right there, you see the, um, you see the, the, the centerpiece. What you're not seeing is that it has like LED lights in it. Okay, and she did a phenomenal job. I watched her do it while Mark and I talked about politics. And uh, and and when that thing's lit up tonight, you're gonna you're gonna it's gonna be something special. Okay, it's 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 not gonna look like you know anodyne light. Okay, it's gonna be warm. It's gonna be lighting. If 2020 has made you an unwelcome guest, I want to invite you to the feast tonight. If 2020 has made somebody that you know, a friend, um, a family member, an unwelcome guest, someone who's down, who's, who's down and out, who's lost, that's who this feast is for. Whether we like to admit it or not, every single one of us is Cousin Eddie. Every single one of us has been an unwelcome guest. Not a single one of us deserves the grace and mercy we've been given, in God, given by God. Not a single one of us has made it and figured it out and done it right. Every single one of us has been and is an unwelcome guest. But the message of the Thanksgiving feast, the message of Matthew 15, is that in Christ, there are no unwelcome guests. Everybody here, everybody you know, is invited. And if we run out of turkey, I will go to Costco and get a bunch of pizzas. And then we will give those to the kids so the adults can eat. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, thank you for inviting us in and through your Son. Thank you that Jesus welcomes us in all of our unwelcomeness, in our sin, in our guilt, in our shame, in our isolation, in our weakness. That, that everyone else would have shut the door and Jesus says, come on in and stay for a while and enjoy the feast. Gracious God, please bring all and sundry to the feast tonight.
bring those who've become unwelcome guests this year, that they might share in light and life, that we might be the open arms, the healing hands of Jesus together. And may all of it, you be glorified, you be praised, you be set high. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.